Phone lines are wide open. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, thank you for joining us on The Line of Fire. It's the Friday broadcast, which means you've got questions, we've got answers. No agenda on this end, no major stories I plan on covering, although we're in the midst of the impeachment hearing now. The the Republican side pre, uh, presented their rebuttal. Always a lot going on in the world around us, but this is totally your calls today, 866-348-7884. Any question of any kind that relates in any way to any subject matter we touch on here or any area where I have any expertise at all. Love to take your questions. And as I do all the time, although I get very few takers, those who differ with me strongly, those who are critical of our ministry or things we teach or preach, love to hear from you as well. All right, we will start with Christopher in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, can you hear me okay? I can. Hey, I've been listening for uh, for several years now, and I really enjoy the program. Huge blessing. I'll try and be as brief as I can. Uh, so you probably remember Henry from Zachary, who's uh, called in a couple of times, and there, there's been some stuff with uh, nudism, et cetera, that's come uh, up the, with him. The, 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 fa- the famous call about, yep, yeah, nudist yeah, colonies. Uh, back Got in it. November. Okay. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, his, I'm his friend. I've been hearing that there was a little bit of confusion about whether it was him talking about himself or not, and that's me. Christopher, I'm his friend. Okay. Um, I want I wanted to call in and do two things. I wanted to, well, I wanted to clear that up and, and then do two things. One, I wanted to thank you for your gracious. So many people that tr- that touch on this subject treat it with uh, just disdain and dismissal, or even uh, anger or meanness. And there was none of that from you. It was all love and grace. And I wanted to thank you from my heart for uh, for your gracious treatment of the issue. Well, you're very welcome. True, we just speak the truth in love. We don't water it down, but do our best to speak the truth in love. Well, thank you. Praise God. Uh, and my, my question, you as a debater, I hope will, will appreciate the question. Um, I was curious to, to see what, what you think, uh, someone from the other side, how they might respond to your, your words. And they made some points from the Old and New Testament. Um, but I was curious to, uh, to see what, what, you, what you think uh, someone on the other side might respond with. So someone that would claim that it's fine for Christians to go to nudist colonies and, and the like. Well, obviously, since, as I pointed out, that, that Adam and Eve covered themselves and then God covered them after the fall, and that we are in that fallen state, and that throughout Scripture being naked is a shameful thing, and even in the book of Revelation, Jesus says to Laodicea spiritually— you are, uh, you'll be able to hear me but not talk. We just don't want the uh, baby uh, upset there on the other side if, the, if your little one doesn't like my answer here. <clears throat> but even in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is rebuking Laodicea, spiritually speaking, right, Laodicea is naked, and Jesus urges them to, to get clothes to, to cover their nakedness. So even in a spiritual sense, being naked is, is a negative thing. The argument, I imagine, 
some might try to bring as well. God had Isaiah walk around stripped naked for three years as a sign. Well, number one, if that really happened, that it was naked versus just wearing like underwear kind of thing, it was a horrible judgment. It was a shameful thing. It was symbolic of how the children of Israel, others would go into exile and and it's stripped. But it, it simply could well mean in, in that context, just like, you know, walking around in the equivalent of underwear. But either way, shameful and negative. Another potential argument might be, well, well we have moved beyond the fallen nature into a sanctified mindset, and, and therefore we are, we are not touched by these things, which is just pure self-deception, you know, not, nothing less than self-deception. When people say, well, that's how holy I am, I say, that's how hard-hearted you are. So just because we get used to a particular thing and it, it doesn't have any sexual meaning to us doesn't mean that the thing is good or right. And again, throughout Scripture, we're called to modesty, and that means close on, not close off. One of my friends many years ago said the purpose of clothes is not what we're trying to reveal, but what we're trying to cover. So those are ways that I would respond to potential responses uh, from you know, I've never never debated that, and I imagine that I'll be doing debates on that subject in the future. Hey, thank you, Christopher, for the call. I appreciate it. Eight six six three four truth. Let's go to Jeanette in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Well, thank you, Doctor Brown. It's Brown Sugar Jeanette <laughs> from Durham. I'm so glad to connect with you again. Sweet. I thank you for the book that you sent to me. I appreciate it. Um, but my, I'll get to my question because I know how how the show rolls. Uh, I was calling. I listened to a, a minister from uh, Texas. I think he's out of, uh, I'm not sure the city, but I know the state is Texas. His name is G. Craig Lewis. And he's always teaching on creation roles, you know, where uh, Adam and Eve, you know, the, uh, uh, that's, that's God's plan. But my thing is, I, I just wanted if um, you might, if you have heard of him or have an idea, because I am, my opinion, I just think that's not correct because don't live in a, uh, I want to say it right, that every woman doesn't have a man, a husband. we got single mothers, single fathers. So I was just like, I don't understand how he could teach on that. He has a big following in his church, and like I said, I've listened to some of his teaching. It's good, but I just want, I'll be quiet and let you respond. Thank you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're welcome. Uh, number one, I'm, I'm not familiar with, with the brother or his ministry, so let me just comment directly on the question of God's design for us in creation, men for women, women for men, be fruitful and multiply, come together, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers. That's obviously fundamental for human thriving. Without that, we go extinct. And obviously a uh-huh. man is made uniquely for a woman and a woman uniquely for a man in terms of biology and emotions and and, and things like that. At the same time... Jesus was single and represented the fullness of God. Paul was single uh-huh. and said, this is a gift that God gives to some. Uh, Jeremiah, because of his calling, could never marry. God told him, you can't marry, you can't have children. And, and we know that, that the image of God is reflected in each of us as, as well. So I think it's important that the church is always teaching on the importance of marriage, family, uh, because that's under such attack in our society and so misunderstood And there's so many designs to tear it down through no-fault divorce, through redefining marriage, through adding partners, things like that. At the same time, it really is essential 
that singles don't feel that they are second class or just kind of an afterthought. And that does happen in many churches. Like, hey, you've got great programs for married couples and great series of teaching on this. And I've heard it from many singles. And look, we're we're all going to spend a certain part of our life single, growing up until we are married, if we are married. And then we may not, maybe we outlive our spouse, we're single. And then much of our lives, every day, I mean, Nancy and I are going on 45 years of marriage, but every day we're living our own lives, right? I'm here, she's somewhere else doing what she's doing. So we're each doing that every day. So I think what we have to do, uh, Jeanette, is, is number one, recognize our personal relationship with God and that we're each made to thrive as individuals, that, that, that the vast majority of us will marry, the vast majority of us will be in, in a relationship with another human being and have that companionship, but we will all have seasons in our lives without that, and some for life will, will, will never have that. And, and the greatest example of that being Jesus himself by the Father's design and plan. So I think we have to recognize that God's image, while expressed in male and female, is also expressed in each of us. And when God calls us, he calls us ultimately as individuals. Now, if you're married, your individual calling will, will then interface with your, your spouse's individual calling, and the, and the two become one, and everything is enhanced. But when God called me to preach, when God called me to minister, everything he's called me to do, he's called me to do as his son, as an individual. And when I stand before God and give an account, it will be as his son, as an individual. I won't get Nancy there to defend me or, well, probably less likely to offend me than to point out where I missed it. But, but anyway, you hear what I'm saying, that we each live as individuals before God, and that needs to be emphasized, that we'll each stand before him as an individual and give account and there's grace given to us as individuals, which can then be greatly enhanced as couples. But either way, we, we stand before God as individuals. So hopefully that's helpful, Jeanette. And, and our churches really need to, to be strong that, especially with younger people waiting longer to be married now. So they're singles for longer periods of time. It's important to emphasize that. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Dan in Fairbanks, Alaska. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, thank you. Hey, um, actually, your comment to a previous caller kind of ties in. I have an important question for you, and uh, the reason I'm asking is I I feel that there's been a, a need in the Church and many believers in, uh, as far as understanding our role as priests in our own household, whether the household be a single person or a family, but specifically, what I wanted to hear from you is, in Jewish tradition and in Scripture, the role, and not just the role, but the responsibility towards children and grandchildren. You know, there's many promises that are spoken to you, your children, and your children's children. And I just would like to hear um, your perspective on that. Yeah, so the Bible does not speak specifically about the responsibility of grand parents towards grandchildren, but rather the, the great blessing that it is to have grandchildren, because you've lived long enough to have your children, and then your children have had their children, so you've lived long enough to see that. So that would be looked at especially as generational blessing. You don't find a mandate to grandparents to make sure you're raising your grandchildren, right? Well, you, that, that's not your role. That's not your place. You may have a special role play, praying for them, you know, with the tenderness that a grandparent can. 
but there's no sense of responsibility, clearly. However, there is a massive responsibility on the mothers and fathers. There's a massive responsibility in Scripture to be role models. There's a massive responsibility to set boundaries. There's a massive responsibility to do our best to bring them to God so they have their own encounter with God. And Jewish tradition would really flow, a lot of that would flow out of Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, after the confession, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. After that confession, then it's not just a matter of reciting the word, having it in your heart and your mind, but drilling it into your children by, by repetition, by, by sharing it, by living it out. And, and then in the New Testament, the fathers being exhorted not to embitter their children. So we want to set godly examples. And kids who are raised in that environment have a much, much, much greater head start in their race for life than those who were raised in the world. Hey, Dan, thank you for asking. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on The Line of Fire, 866-348-7884. You've got questions. We've got answers. Let's go to Weston in King City, Missouri. Thanks for calling The Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Hey. Okay, I had a Jewish friend who was, well, I was explaining to him about the death and resurrection of Christ, mm-hmm. and uh, he quoted Revelation 118 and Malachi 6, and uh, he said, well, how can God be eternal and then die? And then he also asked uh, how the Father and Son could be separated in death. Mm-hmm. And then he said the only way that would make sense is if, like in 1 Corinthians 1 15, uh, uh, sort of like the Son of God like left him, and then the soul like went into Hades or wherever. So uh, how would you respond to him? Yeah, so first I'd appreciate, tell him I appreciate his interest. Glad that he's asking those questions. Um, yeah. I would explain that death is physical, that the death that Messiah experienced was physical. But what does he say on the cross right before he dies? Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. So there is no separation in the divine nature. There is no separation in God. Rather, there is the, the physical death that is experienced. So uh, just like a, a human being, if you were in right relationship with God— and you died physically, you just go from one realm of relationship to another. In fact, you go to a greater communion with God by leaving this body and going to be with him. Paul says, absent from the body and present with the Lord. So that's the first thing, that, that the essence of God doesn't die any more than when, when God takes on human form in the Old Testament that he ceases to be omnipresent. No, he just limits part of himself in that way. So that's the first thing. Death is physical. And, and the physical body is, is dead, but the spirit remains connected to God. So that's number one. Uh, number two, the, uh, I would ask him questions about if he believes Orthodox Jewish views of God. For example, in traditional Judaism, the Shekinah, which Christians call the Shekinah, the Shekinah, represents an aspect of God, the manifest presence of God on the earth. And when the Jewish people go into exile, the Shekhinah goes into exile. And there are traditional Jews who, before they perform a a mitzvah, a commandment, they will pray 
for the reunification of God because they say that the Shekhinah is in exile with the people of Israel, and when Israel returns from exile, then God is united with himself. So I would point out to him that there are mystical concepts within Judaism that speak of there being some type of disrupture or disunion within God during the present state of things. But our beliefs are that, that God is in his eternal oneness his unity is complex, and there is perpetual fellowship between Father, Son, and Spirit, and uh, each one taking on a different role for our salvation. Uh, where would you say this person's at in terms of their own background? Oh, I think he's kind of a conservative. Yeah, so he might I not mean, even he might not even know what what a traditional Jew believes. Yeah. Um, well, up. Uh, what about when Christ descended into, like, the lower regions and, you know, proclaimed to the whatever they were? Right, proclaimed to angels. the spirits that had been in disobedience, right, uh, basically sealing their fate. It is, it is done. Well, e- even there, why would there be separation? In other words, that doesn't imply that the Father and Son are not in fellowship. The Son is on a mission now into the netherworld, and—, and uh, just like he was a mission, in a mission here on Earth, it's the exact is same God, thing. Yeah. Is God is God present down there? What does it say in Psalm one thirty nine? Are you familiar with it? No. Yeah. If I go down to Sheol, you were there. Yeah. So okay. we're. But but here's the thing: if the Son is there, then God is present because the Son is God. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he is, and, and Judaism would say that God is 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 uh, is omnipresent. Uh, Weston, what I'd encourage you to do, uh, if you're able, is get volume two of my series, Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, volume two, where I deal with a lot of these issues, and and see if your friend will read it. Volume two of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, or my book, The Real Kosher Jesus. If you get that, see if he'll read it, The Real Kosher Jesus. You can read it. You'll learn a lot from it. And then see if, and I deal with some of these issues in, in it as well. And then if you can get your friend to read it, I think it'll be a real eye-opener for him. So either Volume 2 of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus or The Real Kosher Jesus, and then either one would be great to give to your friend to read. And, and keep going from there. Hey, thank you for the, for the call. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Anthony. We won't. Let's go to Gavin and oh, what is happening to our? Is this something happening to our lines there, or are we, uh, or are we good? Let's try one more here. All right, looks like, looks like we have a problem on our phone line system here. Every phone lit up, um, but obviously something just happened to our phone lines. Everybody's got busy signals. I apologize. From the heart. So they may have to do a reboot on the other side. When I say they, okay, let me just tell you how our things run. Those who are looking at this and not just listening on radio or podcast, you're looking at me, and when I raise my left hand and point over there, through the glass pane, our faithful team of Kai and Chris, and they're monitoring things, and if I'm pulling up a video, hey, let's look at this, or let's read this article, or let's look at this verse, they're pulling up all that for me, setting our levels, checking all that out. Now, about an hour and a quarter from here, about an hour and a quarter from here, 
uh, is the main radio studio of Truth Radio Network in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. There, they are connecting us by satellite to all the other stations where we're airing live. And they are also there answering the phones. And they've got their whole system set up there. Something obviously happened to that system. I apologize. So everyone who was on hold, as soon as we're rebooted, do your best to call back, and I'll, I'll try to get you in that order. There were some great questions there. I was eager to get to every one of them, but obviously something happened with our last caller. So we don't control the phones over here. Those are controlled at another location. Rachel faithfully answering the phones there, and then different team members running the operation, bringing the, the, the ads and different parts of things. So that's what happened. So I'm, I'm waiting for the word that that the reboot has been successful and then we'll go back i don't remember you know we, we've had issues been on the radio daily for 12 plus years so things come up but this was a little different one with the sudden busy signals taking over so as soon as we get rebooted we will will be uh, back with your calls but that means that means i have to ad lib what am i going to find to talk about <laughs> just joking with you. You know, I've I've had shows where I'm about to go on the air, right? And I've got to have a guest, an important guest on a major subject for an entire hour, and we can't find them. And they got their time zones wrong, and they have no idea they're supposed to be on. So we're ready to start. It's like, okay, we have a free hour. But I, I do want to say this because I've been thinking about it so much. Please hear me in... in in the most candid, clear way that I can speak, I, I don't want to be offensive. I, I don't want to. Uh, I, I don't want to seem in, insensitive to concerns you may have had about the elections or being upset about the way things are, or you don't like the way the new administration is taking things. Or I don't want to be insensitive to those concerns or issues. However, however, I, I will say this. Okay, ah, you know what? I've got to restart on my end. We really need a reset, friends. We really need a reset. What do I mean? I mean, we need to get back to gospel basics. What we need to get back to the basics of the gospel and be known as Jesus people. Not Republicans, not Democrats, not supporters of Trump or supporters of Biden. We need to get back to being known as the Jesus people. And our message, the message that the world hears from us needs to be about the Lord first and foremost, 100 to 1. Everything else has to be secondary to that. All right, let's, uh, let's go to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Jordan, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Hey, I just had a question. Um, I'm going through Romans 2, you know, 6 through 11. Yep. And um, and I'm I'm grateful. I love Jesus. I'm thankful that you know I believe that I'm saved by grace. You know through faith, as Paul discusses, and later on in chapter three. Um, but I've read some commentaries discussing how salvation. I've heard it described as you know an umbrella with you know sanctification, uh, justification, and perseverance kind of underneath that. Mm -hmm. um, does that? I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on um, that, because I've heard that works will be, you know, every man will be judged by the same, um, I guess, scale. You know, I, right, so the big, the big question, yeah, the big question that comes up 
is with in Romans 2 is Paul suggesting that some people are saved by their good works and they will be commended for it, Jew first, also Gentile, and others will be judged for their sinful works. Obviously, we know, because Paul argues it decisively in the chapters that follow, that we've all fallen short. So I believe this is more of a theoretical construct that's being put forward. Though it, God's going to be a fair judge, you live righteously enough, you get in. That's what I'll tell any rabbi. If you're righteous enough and good enough and holy enough to get in by your own works, more power to you. But Paul now goes on to say, ultimately, though, everyone falls short. Ultimately, every one of us is guilty in God's sight, and we're only saved by grace. However, those who are truly saved will live godly lives. Those who are truly saved will not persevere in unrepentant sin. God will deal with that. So sanctification is absolutely part of the fruit of salvation. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire, 866-348-7884. You've got questions. We've got answers. Uh, Jordan in Philadelphia, I just wanted to make one further comment. So when I say that those who are truly saved will live different lives, it doesn't mean that we may not have ups and downs. It may not even guarantee that someone won't fall away or turn away from the Lord. But for sure, if someone is genuinely born again, it has to have an effect on the life. So if, if I knew someone, let's say I had a close friend that wasn't saved, and you know the guy slept around with a lot of women, heavy drug user, nasty, abusive character, liar, just go down the list, right? Come up with a few more things. And, and this person said they had this incredible born-again experience. God showed them their need for the Lord and who Jesus was, and they cried out, He saved me. I'm, I know He's forgiven my sins. Well, you'll see change then. You know, that person would have to become a new person on some level. And if they continue to live exactly the same, not even consciousness of sin, not even a desire to move away from it, not, not even a recognition of wrong, and, and, and steps taken in the right direction, I'd question whether that person ever met with the Lord. Because you, you cannot be born from above, born anew, born again, get a new heart, a new spirit. That will not happen in, in, unless uh, you've been truly saved. If you're truly saved, you're going to live differently. You're going to live differently. Uh, James Edwin Orr, revival scholar, said the only proof of the new birth is the new life. Uh, so the other last, oh, okay, George's not there, so he's just listening on the other side of the break there. So just wanted to put that out for you. Um, let us go to Ashley in Topeka, Kansas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Okay, so I was calling because uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on something. Have you read the um, the statement that was released by Ravi Zacharias's ministry about the sexual abuse that he did? Yes, I have. You have? Okay. So obviously you're probably heartbroken by it. I haven't heard you talk about it, um, so that's why I asked if you had known. Um, yeah. 
I so it's heartbreaking for me for a lot of reasons. I looked up to Ravi Zacharias. I read him in high school. I went to a Christian high school and um I I learned a lot from him. I I've, I've watched his apologetics online and I'm sad for the victims, but I'm also sad that like crushed that this could happen from such a seemingly great Christian leader. And I guess my questions are, like, what are your general thoughts when this happens with leaders? And do you think that Ravi was maybe even unsaved now that, um, you know, the truth is being told? Right. Uh, Okay. Number one, I've known this was coming for for quite some time. Uh, Someone that I know had reached out to me, knew about the research, knew what was going on. So I was hoping against hope it wasn't true, but yeah, it was expecting the findings to be like this. I was just waiting for everything to come out. You know, I, I, I don't need to offer my opinion on everything. I, I was waiting for everything to come out. And even just today talking to Nancy saying, I'm, I'm going to have to address this now that it's out and just praying for a redemptive way to do it. So, so let me say a few things. Uh, So those not familiar, the report does say there was all types of sexual misconduct allegedly with Ravi for many, many, many years. So I'm terribly grieved for the reputation of the Lord because this makes Jesus look bad. And the millions of people Ravi touched, there are going to be many now who question the message of Jesus because of of the exposure of Ravi's sin. So it's it's a terribly grievous thing. Here I'm, I'm a leader in the body. I have... A certain stature, if I was found to be a hypocrite, how does that affect others? The same with others we look to, and obviously Ravi was a giant. So it's, it's a very sobering thing. It's, it's a tragic thing, and that's the first thing. When I hear this, my first thought is, oh, no, the reputation of Jesus. And then I think all the people that could be hurt and, and how the mockers will use this to, to disparage our message. And then, of course, the women who, who were victimized, because we who are in leadership, you know, whether it's a boss on the job, pastor in a church, someone that's looked at as charismatic, you know, you, you have a certain power. That's why there can be abusive relationships that, that are, are, are examined in that, in that regard. So the women who've been victims, and I feel quite sure that God gave opportunities to Ravi and his ministry to fix this years ago before it, it got so public. So first thing, grieve for the reputation of the Lord, grieve for those whose faith will be hurt, grieved for the, the women who were, who were victims in, in different ways. And you say, okay, where do we go forward? What do we learn from this? First thing is, whoever you are listening to me now, watching, if, especially in your leadership or ministry, if there are problems going on, Come clean, get help, get low. Every one of us falls short one way or another. On our best day, uh, the holiest day we've ever lived, we fall short of God's perfection. And so rather than throwing stones, when I hear a report like this, I search my heart. That's the immediate thing I do after that, that grief for these other reasons. Then the first thing I do is not throw stones and, and, and accuse further is I search my own heart. I look at my own life. I say, are there areas where I'm leading a double life? Are there areas of hypocrisy in my own life? And if so, whoever you are, get low. Humble yourself. Make yourself accountable. Get help. 
if proper accountability had been followed, if there were not exceptions to the rules made, then none of this would have been able to happen the way it happened. So let us welcome healthy accountability. And again, I'm not throwing stones. Every one of us, as I say, has fallen short on one level or another and had to humble ourselves and say, forgive me or get help. Obviously, there are lines if we cross, then there are terrible, terrible consequences. The other thing is that as much as we want to respect and honor people, and there are plenty of honorable people. I remember talking to David Wilkerson years back when I was preaching at Times Square Church and hearing about yet another pastor, an old colleague of mine who had committed adultery and destroyed his ministry with, with multiple women. And David said to me, yeah, for everyone that messes up, three or four don't. I wanted him to say three or four hundred don't, but three or four still. Yeah. So in other words, Ravi's situation is extreme and it's certainly not the norm. We don't want to suspect everybody. Well, nobody's really living it. No, no, this is extreme and negative. Uh, and with it... See, that's where my mind goes is kind of like who... Obviously, you can't put your trust in men. I mean, the Bible makes that clear. But right. like, it's it's hard to know what ministry to trust because it's, it's hurt my faith because I looked up to him so much. Yeah, well, that's... I mean, you want to respect and honor leaders... But still there's the recognition that even those that are living godly lives, and I know plenty of people that are, that are God seekers and people of integrity and finances in order and personal lives in order, and they're not scandals associated with them. Again, I, I believe that's the majority, not the minority in terms of those in ministry. But never put your absolute trust in that sense in a human being. Let God be true and every man a liar. And the other, the other thing, so there are things Robbie said that are absolutely true and helpful, but it's just going to be very difficult to be ministered to by them or helped by them now because of knowing that on some level he was living a double life. There's a message I've preached for years, and I'll probably link it in an article if, if I do write on this, which, I, which I'm planning to. Uh, it's called Acharit, and it's one Hebrew word about the final consequences of sin and righteousness. It's a devastating message from the book of Proverbs. I preached it for decades. I preached it to myself. It saved me from destruction, I'm sure, listening to that message. And, you know, Nancy was saying to me, just think, you know, you could live your whole life, but if you've been hiding sin, and again, if you mess up, come clean, get right, get help, whatever you can deal with privately, deal with privately. If you can fix it privately, it never has to go public. God doesn't want it to go public. If you can fix it privately, do so while you have the opportunity. But our sin will find us out. That's the dreadful thing. If we've humbled ourselves, dealt with things properly before the Lord, He fixes it. He fixes it, he, he, and we can be stronger afterwards for our confession and our humility. But if we hide it and cover it, it'll come back to bite us. And that's the other grave lesson to learn so it's, it's painful. It's going to bring reproach to the name of the Lord. It's going to hurt many. But the bottom line is the, the Jesus that Ravi preached is the true Jesus. The, the teaching that he gave about the authority of Scripture is true. His wisdom and apologetics came from God, not from him. So whatever you receive from him, keep that while mourning for what happened in his own life. As far as his own walk, I, you know, God's his judge, but... Any of us 
Here's the other lesson. can potentially lead a double life. It, it seems impossible, but it can happen to anyone. Any of us can fall. Any of us can mess up. Any of us can be dominated by our weakness and sin. So let us all take this as a time to, to get sober before God, to get low. It's obviously a time of great shaking and purging and cleansing in the church. So let's, let's all get low. Let's all ask for mercy. Let's all run to the cross for cleansing. And if you're in leadership and there's a real mess in your life, better, better to get things fixed. Even if you have to step down for a season, God can restore you in, in a greater way in the future. And Ashley, may, may the Lord strengthen your own heart in terms of your trust in, in the Jesus that we all need and the one and only Savior. Uh, and, and may God's grace somehow use this redemptively, help those who've been victimized and, and, and hurt through this, help those whose faith is shaken. May God somehow redeem his own reputation in the world uh, after this. And, and help those that have worked in the ministry with sincere hearts as well. Hey, thank you, Ashley, for, for calling. And, and again, I, I do plan to, uh, to write on this as well. 866-34-TRUTH. We'll be right back and go to, okay, Brandon and Joseph, we had you on earlier. And Gavin, that's where we're going. Try to get to all your calls on the other side of the break. Hey, friends, remember to sign up for my emails if you don't get them. Lots of information, special resources, all kinds of good things. Go to my website now, askdrbrown, askdrbrown.org. Take a minute during the break, sign up for the emails, and we'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. One, one last thought in terms of reports of sexual misconduct of Robert Zacharias. Sin is never worth it. It's the message of Acharit that I've preached. Sin is never worth it. When all is said and done, you always wish you didn't do it. When, when the dust finally settles, when the final accounting is in, you always wish you didn't do it. No matter how intense the pleasure, the satisfaction, the relief, that whatever it is that you're experiencing through sin, when it's disobedience, when it's, you always wish you didn't do it afterwards. Like, what what happened? It wasn't worth it. So for those teeter-tottering, for those struggling right now, let that be a reminder to you. In that sense, let Ravi's life speak to us from the grave. Sin is never worth it. What it brings in the end is shame and disgrace and reproach. All right. Back to the phones. Let's go to Joseph in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Hey. Um, my question for you was, um, I've been running into um, a few people that call themselves pagans and neo-pagans, mm -hmm. and I've been trying to speak to them about Christ. The only thing I found kind of confusing, it felt like I was speaking a different language with them. Yeah. Because 
they're kind of from what I've seen it's very postmodern mixed with older paganism mixed with a bad experience they had with Christianity in their childhood it yeah. sounds like so I'm wondering how to share the love of Christ with them or if you've had any experience with that yeah well the the first thing is you know when you take the gospel to different cultures if you're preaching in a Buddhist culture and you talk about sin or eternal life or even God that all the concepts are different and the meaning is different and then today there's very little consciousness of sin in many lives as well but humans are still humans people are still broken something is still missing so ultimately you want to get them to gospel truths that they've sinned against the God who made them and salvation is only found through the cross but like you said it all sounds like a foreign language to them initially so I, I might, I'd be praying for wisdom to say, okay, what makes you tick? What are you living for? Is it just the pleasure of the flesh? Is the sense of destiny, purpose? Did anyone put you here? Why are you here? How do we get here? Is there right or wrong? Is there such a thing as morality? Is, do you ever feel guilty? Is there a hole inside of you? I, I'd explore it from different ways and then try to get them to understand, okay, God put us here. We're accountable to him. He put it, destiny and purpose inside of us. Sin is this thing that we do for self that separates us from him, and that's why the negative consequences come. And then, from their point to Jesus. But I would try to reach them in their humanity and try to take their real-life experience and use that to then connect them with biblical concepts. Does that make sense? It does. Um, the, the other issue I was running into also is when I've tried explaining different parts of Scripture in general about God, um, I, I guess from the way I'm making it sound, I guess, is it's like a works righteousness, but I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to present it as God does the work in us, yeah. and He softens our heart to yeah, accept so I, Him. I'd look at it, not works righteousness, but, okay, you're in a hundred-foot ditch with slippery walls, and no matter how athletic you are, you can't get out. Someone needs to throw a rope down to you. You need to put that rope around your waist and the other person pulls you up. So it's not a matter of salvation by works. It's a matter of we need saving because we're lost. Try to present it like that, that, that we always are going to fall short. And this is the only hope that we have to, to get out of the pit. Okay? Okay. Yeah, and then you pray that the Holy Spirit convicts. You know, really pray for them in private that the Holy Spirit convicts and, and that you can bring reality of God to them. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Gavin in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Welcome back to the Line of Fire. Thank you so much, sir, for taking my call. And I just want to say real quick, thank you so much for your ministry. Uh, you've touched my life in, in a, a very impactful way, and I listen to you every day. Um, real quick, my question was, I know you were a big part of the uh, Brownsville Revival yes, sir. Uh, with evangelist Steve Hill and uh, John Kilpatrick and just an unbelievable outpouring uh, of God. And I was just wondering, um, could you see that happening again uh, today and, and kind of like your experience with that outpouring? And, you know, I'm 21 years old and I'm hungry. I've, I've been raised, you know, Pentecostal my whole life and heard about revival and I know you're somebody who's truly experienced it. And um, I was wondering, you know, some keys to that. Then could it happen again today? Yes, sir. It absolutely could happen again, and it could happen in greater measure because God is God, 
and because the needs are great. I have a book scheduled to come out around September called Revival or We Die. So it remains a passionate cry of my heart. And as someone who was in the midst of it for four years, so hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of meetings and then hundreds and hundreds more classes and extra sessions and seeing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people respond to the altar call. I mean, just the database of people responding was well over 300,000 different people responding to the altar calls. And then seeing the people touched in it, some have been on the mission field now over 20 years. I mean, I'm talking about lasting, dramatic, glorious fruit. And when I'll sit down sometimes, get together with grads or old faculty or leaders, we haven't seen each other in years, and we just start to reminisce, you know, maybe around a table having a meal, Often within minutes, we're all sitting there crying. We just break down weeping because the, wow. the two things happen. The memories that you share, because you don't remember everything. So much happened, and you start to remind of this and that. That's one. And then the presence of God just comes as, as you think back. So uh, everything it was you know, cranked up to be is absolutely true and real. My hope, Gavin, is that God's going to pour out his spirit in a greater way, but in thousands of different places at the same time. Brownsville was unique and uh, like other places where, where people would travel around the world to get there. We had cumulatively about 3 million different people walk through the doors from some like 140 countries, but, and and then they go back and many take the fire back and churches change and ministries birthed. And so many of those things happen gloriously and, and amazingly. Uh, That's, that's one thing. Uh, the other, the other thing is though, that, that I believe God just wants to move in a lot, a lot of different places. So it's not even, you know, here's the place to go. You know, you have to go halfway across the country because it'll be happening all over. And, and God responds to, to hunger, Gavin. And I just want to pray, Lord, take hold of this young man and deepen the fire in his heart. And everyone that's watching and listening right now, that's hungry and thirsty, deepen the hunger, deepen the passion deepen our own consecration, Lord, their consecration to you, and, and, and touch them afresh. May they be like a burning coal that, that gets the other coals burning as well. Purge us, refine us, cleanse us, pour out your spirit afresh, Father, for your name's sake and the good of this nation. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you, Gavin, for the call. I appreciate it. And let's go to Brandon in Traverse City, Michigan. Thank you for calling the line of fire. Thanks for taking my call, Dr. Brown. You're welcome. Uh, um, I had a question about Matthew eleven twelve. Yep. Uh, where Jesus said, uh, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Mm-hmm. Violent men take it by force. Yep. Um, what did Jesus mean by violent men take it by force? Are they um, trying to get into the kingdom through violence, or is it referring to something else? Yeah, the way that it's often understood, especially in Pentecostal charismatic circles, is it's positive that from the days of John the Baptist, now the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force, that we are not through physical violence, but that we are through spiritual aggression to take hold of this and to, to use spiritual weapons and to fight and to stand and to, to do all that. And that, that somehow is what it means And even though you might have that warring imagery elsewhere in Scripture, uh, that's probably not what it's saying there. The the Greek 
and I'm, a, I'm much stronger in, in, in Hebrew than I am in, in Greek in terms of, you know, nuances and understanding all the ins and outs of the language. But, but I've studied this enough. The Greek middle, which is not active, not passive, it's kind of an in-between thing. How exactly should that be translated? That comes up a lot here. And therefore, you have translations like uh, NIV, the kingdom of God, heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. NET, now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay hold of it. Uh, NLT, heaven has been forced, kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Uh, so it seems that there, one of two ways to understand this. One is the kingdom of heaven is now under attack and there are violent people trying to attack God's work on the earth and attack God's people on the earth. And, and that's what it's saying. So persevere and be strong. The other way to read it is the first half is it's been inv- advancing forcefully while others on the outside are trying to attack. You know, the other view, as I mentioned, is we advance it forcefully and, and we are the forceful ones taking hold of it. It's probably more likely to say it's advancing forcefully in the earth, but people who are violent are trying to attack and stop it. And that would be what we've seen for 2,000 years. The kingdom of heaven advancing on the earth through God's people reaching out and, and, and the kingdom of God being extended through us, but in the same process, violent attack against us. So the violent men taking it by force is most likely not speaking about us, but about those who attack and try to destroy from the outside. Hey, we are out of time, but that's the full answer I'd give you anyway. God bless, friends. Make sure, again, you get our emails. This is a way we can stay in touch. If you have questions we can't get to on the air, we're always happy to help you through our website, sdrbrown.org. God bless.